Hello and welcome to Girls That Invest, the platform that empowers millennials through financial literacy. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are extremely passionate about all things investing and personal finance. So in today's episode, we're going to be going through our top 10 investing mistakes that every beginner should try to avoid. Now, keep in mind, We have all been there. We've probably made every single mistake. Do you reckon? Absolutely. A lot of these are us just admitting our faults and hoping that someone out there learns from them. If anyone can end this podcast and be like, okay, that was kind of dumb, but I'm going to know not to do that next time. That's all we want from today. Exactly. Have your notepad and pen at the ready if people still do that. Or maybe don't do that. I listen to podcasts when I'm like cleaning and driving. Okay, we'll take some mental notes, mental guys. Notes. You know what we'll do, team? We will put our top 10 mistakes in the show notes. Ooh. Summary. I love that idea. Look at us being organized. We do it for for our people. Yeah. Yes. So I'll start us off. And bear in mind, this is in no particular order. But one mistake and something that we found is a common mistake is investing before you're ready. And I put ready in quote marks because being ready can mean different things to different people but what it means to me and I think Sim yeah I know Sim would agree is maybe investing before you have an emergency fund because we've said this plenty of times before and I feel like people should understand this now but the stock market doesn't really have any obligation to return anything to you which is a hard pill for some people to swallow. And I know it's hard to kind of accept, but if you don't have that base level emergency fund where you can pull if anything happens or when anything happens, because that's just the nature of life, then it's kind of, not kind of, it's really, really risky. Another thing you might have is a high level of debt. So you've got a lot of debt, maybe no savings, and you're investing. Again, there is no option for the stock market to return anything to you. So I guess this is a personal opinion depending on who's hearing this, but it's probably best to pay your debt off and have some level of savings before you start getting into investing. Another factor that could show that maybe you're not ready to invest is that you don't really have a base level knowledge of stocks. Now, no one's saying that you need to be an expert and you need to know all the ins and outs of the stock market, but it is important that you know how it operates on some level. Some really good episodes to listen to, and yes, this is a plug, but back in season one, we did a great episode on like what the stock market is and the episode after that was risks and investing as well which are really good quick episodes to listen to to kind of get that base level knowledge yeah absolutely and I think there is a fine balance between like holding back until you know enough and holding back too much because you don't feel like you're ready and it's like it's different for everyone like no one's gonna know You're not going to be like, oh, you're not going to wake up and be like, today I'm ready to buy a stock. Like it doesn't work like that. But like find your own good balance between knowing enough, like Sonia said, having a good base 
but not feeling like you need a full degree in it because you're never going to know everything. No one knows everything. And yeah, it's just a balancing act. And hopefully the episodes will give you a good idea of what you do and don't know. And you can go from there. Something that I have found myself doing, people around me doing, I know you and me have talked about this as well, Sonia, personally, but another thing that we could try to avoid is holding stocks based on emotions, which is not easy to not do because like if you're starting out, you're going to be like, okay, like what companies or what funds do I invest in? And obviously you're going to think about the companies you know and love, whether that be something like Nike or something like Apple, which some are great stocks, but it doesn't necessarily mean that if you are a very loyal and good customer, that that company itself is also really profitable and making, you know, great progress in the industry. And so holding stocks based on emotion can kind of lead you down a path where you might buy it at a price that isn't, you know, the best because you want to just buy it now and you don't want to really wait for it to drop and you don't want to sort of see how things go and I might be wrong but I think there's also a level of proving ourselves right if things don't make sense anymore and holding on to that company you know doesn't align with your own values and your portfolio goals you might still want to hold on to it because you know you've got an emotional connection to this company this is that company that you grew up with or the shows that you used to love to watch on Netflix and now you don't want to let go of Netflix so I think that's just something to take into consideration but in saying that you have to you know also look at how having an emotional connection and knowing what companies are doing really well and the things that interest you like that can give you an edge on finding some great stocks out there that maybe other people might not have as much information about. Would you have kind of like a top tip for how you can kind of develop some emotional distance from from stocks? Some advice that I find really helpful is something that Warren Buffett once said, which is when you are buying or looking into buying a little, you know, stock of a company, you don't, a good way to see it is imagining as if you were buying the company, like would you spend your own hard-earned money on this company? And of course, you can have a little bit of, bias if you like the brand or if you personally use it but you'll also be a little bit more perhaps diligent about looking at their balance sheet and looking at how much debt they have and all those things that would make your decision possibly more numbers based and less emotions based that's a great tip love me a bit of warren buffett (laughs) warren buffett is like 97 actually is he So another mistake is something that I was guilty of and still guilty of, and that is not evaluating your performance. Sim's just looking at me like... I'm literally raising my hand too. I know, me as well. Like, I don't want it. Here's the thing. I think I need to get better at prioritizing actually looking at my stocks. I like the idea that I'm, I've got a solid plan. I look at it every now and then, which might be every few months, which is, don't know if that's as often as you need to look at it. Because I'm kind of in the mindset of, I just want to leave it be. My plan with my investments mm-hmm. is that I'm not touching it short term. I'm in it for the long run. So I don't 
feel the need to constantly check on it. But the con of that or the risk of that is that you're holding on to stocks or you're holding on to potential losses because you're not looking at that performance and therefore like you're losing money. Also, I think it directly contradicts like what I said before in terms of like, I know, I was just going to say it kind of contradicts what I was saying before. Like, you need to have some base level knowledge of stocks and how your stocks are performing. But if you're not looking at it, how are you going to see that ongoing, like, performance? Because I guess, like, that's a good point as well. But then you could also argue, (laughs) to play devil's advocate, what would you say about the idea that if you are looking at your stocks too much, then you might be like, oh, those jumps make me feel a kind of way. I want to like drop that stock or like my stock of like Neo has been so stagnant for the last five days. Every day I've checked, let me just sell it. Like, Do you feel like you'd get more tempted or do you feel like you'd be able to like keep on the straight and narrow? That's a really good point. I think you'd get more tempted, eh? I feel like I do. And it talks to your point of not being so emotional when it comes to stocks. I think when you're constantly looking that up and up and down like every single day or every other day, it's just going to pull you more emotionally invested into it as well. So, I mean, how do you figure out how often you should look at your stocks? I feel like there's no right answer, but what I've found works for me because if you listen to us like last season I was like yeah I wake up and I check every morning and then I go to Instagram and then I go to like the news about stocks but now I've definitely cut back and I started cutting back when I realized it was affecting my day or affecting my mood so now I just check as often as I need without feeling overwhelmed and when I start to feel overwhelmed I'm like okay Sim cut back I guess it's different for everyone. And then there's being who hasn't looked at it in the past five months, probably. You could literally have made like a million dollar portfolio and you'd have no idea because you just don't know. And that's what I mean. I feel like this one has been kind of spoken about numerously. And if you were ever to just like ask someone like, do you have any tips of what not to do? They'd probably bring up this point. And that is, of course, keeping all your eggs in one basket. The idea is that you don't want to have too much money in just one, two, three, or even five companies and nothing else because you're not giving yourself enough of a buffer for risk. And you might say, well, hey, look, like I've got a ETF and I've got a couple of companies but you also want to make sure that those companies are in different sectors so if you've got you know lots of stock but they're all just a tech stock you know there's still room for diversification and I mean I, I can't imagine this happening but if technology and the internet and everything just were to shut down you want to have other things that you can rely on but in saying that, if that happened, I feel like we'd be having more serious problems than our stock portfolios. <laughs> but until it shuts down, you're like, holy shit, what happened to my stock? I'm like, God, Tesla, mm-hmm. where did it go? 
feel like at the end of every year, there's those really catchy headlines like best stocks of 2020 and um, best performing ETFs or stocks of 2020. And it's really easy to get caught up in the hype of it and just read those articles and maybe then dip your toe in it. But there's a great point in an article that I was reading earlier from fool.com and they say, you know, it is okay to hope for great performances from your investments, but don't count on them or assume that you'll get them every year because when we're looking at performance, it's usually over a stretch of a few years, not just the performance based on last year. I guess like case in point in terms of what you were saying before, like Netflix as an example, like there are so many streaming services now other than, I mean, there was a point in time when Netflix led the game and now you've got like so many to choose from that that also Disney is killing it. Do you know Neon is also killing it? They have law okay, the only reason I like Neon is because they have law and order. That's all you need. Another thing, and I think this actually fits in quite nicely with the idea of buying last year's winners. When things are doing really well and you hear it on the news, you definitely I like, oh, like, this is really exciting. And I've definitely done this myself, is buying high and selling low. So, you know, a stock's doing really well. It's going up. You might feel a little bit of FOMO. You're like, damn, like, this is on a trajectory. And I feel like it just makes sense that it's just going to keep going up. So you've bought it, whereas other investors kind of saw it coming or have been following that stock for a while and they've bought it a lot lower. So just say they bought it for, like, $100, you're seeing it skyrocket and it's like at 200 you buy it there. And then suddenly all those investors at the start, they're like, wow, I've made a great profit and they sell off. And then your stock just plummets down to like back to 100 or to 150 And then because you've kind of bought this as a bit of a speculative stock or you've bought it, you know, trying to get onto a hype, you're like, oh, the hype's over. This isn't going to go up again. And then you end up wanting to sell it. And so buying high and selling low, look, if you have done this, it is okay. So if I, therefore we are connected in some way. I think another thing to think about, and it kind of ties in with the whole emotions thing again, is you almost want to do the opposite of what your emotions might be telling you. So when the stock drops, you might be like, I just want to panic sell it. No, just hold on. You're already into it. Who's to say that, you know, if you are in this for the long term, who's to say it doesn't jump up after a few months again? And and that's okay. And, of course, when it goes up really high before buying it, you want to make sure that it makes sense for you. Does the price of the stock reflect what it's producing, what it's creating as a actual company? Love that for you. Another mistake, and this is is kind of opposite to what I was saying before, but it is trading too frequently. And I think that also kind of plays hand in hand with buying high and selling low as well. So with this, you get too excited or you get too interested in particular stocks, maybe borderline obsessed with the whole buy and sell process. And it makes you feel some type of way. And I feel like you're not really giving a chance to grow and sell and then I feel like you're entering territory of day trading 
and I feel like you need to really know what you're doing and have experience in investing in the stock market. Maybe you're doing it as a profession to see the gains from day trading with this, you know, Warren Buffett, he is a great believer and I feel like he, you know, really sold the idea of buying and holding. It's kind of hard to be like, don't get emotional because I hate being told that, but this isn't like a woman thing. This isn't like us saying as girls that invest, don't get emotional because this is like industry-wide advice. And if anything, studies have shown that women trade less so we're not making like fast like oh I gotta jump out of this real quick I gotta jump in this real quick we trade less so kind of what you were saying like you kind of leave it as it is and when you trade less you end up getting greater returns so women in the study that I was talking about were actually kind of doing better because they weren't being as emotional facts as men Sim has made several points and that's the tea and scene this is something that has also crossed my mind it's the idea of margin lending or investing with borrowed money and normal people speak it's the idea that some people consider well you know like if I take a loan from my bank or if I take cash from someone I could use that money to invest and then if I make profit then I just give that money back and I've made like you know, $100, $200, $1,000, and I haven't used my own money, that is something I would not recommend for anyone. There was a time when Warren Buffett did do this to help with his company, but he himself and many specialists, and I guess asset girls that invest also believe that marginal investing, it's just not worth the risk. What's going to happen if that stock doesn't outperform and you've borrowed money with interest on it you are losing money day to day and no one has a crystal ball we don't know what's going to happen if that is money that you need to give back i wouldn't put it in the stock market do you reckon if we put that on a t-shirt i'm pretty sure you've said that every single episode no one has a crystal ball you're right girls that invest merch coming soon moving forward. Another mistake, and this is something that I think I had to really pay attention to and learn, is paying too much in fees. I think it's very easy to get blindsided or confused by them, but Dave Ramsey has referred to investment fees as just a fact of life, to be honest. Okay, so incoming jargon, if I may, Go ahead. The floor is yours. Hit us with on the hands. Hope it didn't overwhelm anyone. But but the term is good expense ratio. Have we heard of her? Who is she? An expense ratio is essentially the amount an investment company charges in fees to manage an investment portfolio. So whether that be in a mutual fund or an exchange fund, which is you know, an ETF, that, I guess, would you call it a calculation or... Just a percentage. A ratio. I guess, like, with a ratio, you kind of mean, like, 
how much money you're investing versus like how much money is going into fees. The ratio represents all of the management fees and operating costs of the fund. Essentially, it is going to depend on what kind of fund you're going into. So an actively managed fund, their fees might be a little bit higher because you've got people looking after that fund, I guess, and a more keen eye on that fund rather than a passive management fund. What would you consider, I guess, the main thing to look out for when you're looking at fees? That's a good question. What I look at when I look at exchange traded funds and their fees and fees with like mutual funds is, I guess, one, like how high the fee is or how high the ratio is. So to give you an example, VOO or the Vanguard S&P 500 fund, they are notoriously known. Is notorious a bad word? Mm, It's like well known, like notoriously good or They are notoriously good at keeping their fees low. So their fee is 0.04% per year. So I use that kind of as my like baseline. That's probably one of the lowest fees I've seen. But if you're seeing something charging like 2%, you're like, whoa, that's a lot in comparison. So one, just having low fees full stop. But then two, seeing if you can get the exact same stuff in that fund somewhere else for lower fees. So there's lots of S&P 500 ETFs out there by different companies. Vanguard is just one of them, but Vanguard gives the lowest fee for the exact same thing. It's important to know that fees should be transparent, especially if you're investing through micro investing platforms, right? Because that's how I would argue most people I guess every day most day-to-day people or your average Joe really in this this is a point like if you are investing maybe ten dollars a fortnight like for Hatch their brokerage fee is like three US dollars like you're essentially paying a lot in fees for what you're also putting in as well so that's something to consider because you have to make that three like if you're putting in ten dollars you are kind of hoping that that stock jumps to $13 for you to even break even. Yeah. And that's a huge jump for a $10 mark. If you were wanting it to jump from $100 to $103, that's a lot more manageable. So point 10 of things that we've probably done in the past and that we would really want to avoid if we were starting to invest again would be setting your expectations too high. I feel like 2020 has been a very interesting year for the stock market. Some people have made a lot of money. And if you follow some investing communities like Wall Street Bets, they have what you call like loss porn or growth porn, which essentially is people sharing the money that they've made or the money that they've lost with a graph. And you're obviously only going to share stuff if you have made a huge gain for a huge loss like these people share how they went from like a hundred grand to like 500 grand but you also have to remember that they started with a hundred grand and so that is not how the stock market normally works you don't just kind of put your money in and make a growth like that there's always going to be outliers in everything and investing is no different just to put it into perspective, the average return of the stock market historically has only been from 7 to 
And that is not a bad thing to be aiming for. Average, when it comes to investing, is really good. Bonus round, because we love you guys so much, we didn't want to leave it at 10. So we've got one more tip for you guys. One thing to avoid, and there's a lot of opinions on this, but on the whole, penny stocks. So for those that don't know what penny stocks are, by definition, they're just stocks of not so well-known companies that are trading for less than $5, so to speak. So you could buy a stock of this random company and it only might be like $2 to buy. So you're like, literally, why not? The thing with penny stocks, at least when you're starting out, is there's a reason that stock is $2. It's just like when you go to Zara and like a pair of jeans are for $80 and you're like, okay but then you go to maru and they're like $12 there's a reason those jeans are $12 they are going to last you literally 12 days like and so you know these companies are quite small and what is their growth potential like what are they going to be doing in the future are they breaking into an industry where they're the leader or are they just jumping into something really saturated there are always going to be some outliers again that do really well and people tell their story like you know they bought this for a dollar now it's worth a hundred dollars they bought 10 of them like that's a great story but that's not what happens to most people also fun fact wolf of wall street was about penny stocks (sighs) what a great movie to sum up we hope you got some good insights from this episode it was really fun bouncing back and forth between us and how many mistakes we have made and continue to make. Nothing brings two best friends closer. Again, by making stupid mistakes together. Now, I wouldn't consider it stupid. We're all just learning. And I think that's the thing. Like when you start your investing journey as well, there are going to be mistakes that you make. And we hope by sharing some of the mistakes that we've made or some of the common mistakes that we found at least it, and I guess, mitigates that risk of you guys making yourself a mistake as us. For sure. And just so you don't forget, so real quick, the first is investing before you're ready, holding stocks based off emotions, not evaluating your performance, keeping all your eggs in one basket, buying last year's winners, buying high and selling low, trading too frequently, investing with borrowed money, paying too much in fees, setting too high expectations i just love how i'm just like i've done that yeah i've done that i've done that and buying penny stocks girls that invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs we are not financial advisors the advice from girls that invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alright, see you next week, Sonia.